Hey, you guys, welcome to episode 46 of the Kratom Sobriety Podcast. This week, we have an interview with a good friend of mine, John, and he's going to talk about his journey so far in quitting Kratom. I'm super excited about that. I'm here today with Jacob. How are you doing today, Jacob? I'm doing good. It's Friday, a little tired, but I'm glad that it's almost the weekend. PGIF for sure, huh? For sure. Today, we wanted to talk about something I picked up on this during a lot of my interviews and also seeing posts in the Quitting Kratom Facebook groups. In fact, I actually asked this question and got a lot, a ton of response. We wanted to talk a little bit about how we as addicts, a lot of us seem to gravitate toward partners that either don't use have never used, don't understand addiction. Some of those partners are more supportive than others, but I just find it to be a very interesting and unique phenomenon and curious if others about their story. How about you, Jacob? Yeah, very similar story. We, we traded some text messages about this for context listeners, but I, I also have a partner that is normal-ish substance use person. She's never tried Kratom. I don't think she's ever had any kind of opiates or Coke or anything like that. She does drink maybe like a drink or two a week. There's been several times we've gone out and like she'll order a beer and leave a third of it when we leave. And I'm like, when I used to drink, I it didn't matter how much I disliked the beverage. I would have drank all of it. So it's definitely an interesting experience. She's been very supportive, though, through my struggles. And so that's been good. We've had some issues, that, but that's my fault, just because when you are an addict and you are in addiction, you are selfish most of the time. And you can make decisions that don't always just impact yourself. But it was interesting. I remember... With Kratom, it wasn't so really impactful because, I don't know, it's such a weird drug. It didn't It didn't really, like, get its claws into, like, my personal relationship like alcohol did, where it was, like, literally, like, like I would black out and do stupid shit and have to deal with the ramifications. I never really had that with Kratom. But I remember when I was drinking a lot, she, she knew something was up. But I, when I was like, hey, I, I really have a problem with this. I need to, really need to address it. She was like, I don't know how I didn't see all this. I was like, I'm good at hiding it. But long story short, I've had a very similar experience in most of the relationships, with the exception of some people I did in my 20s where one person was a little bit crazier than I was. Those relationships never lasted. Any relationship I've had for the long term was, was usually with someone that was more normal drinker, normal user of things. Yeah, same for me. Any serious relationship that I've been in has been with what we like to refer to as a normie. I've had a couple of tumultuous, toxic, short-term relationships where both parties were using. And yeah, that definitely was not a thing. I think that for me, it's curious to me because I wonder on both sides, do we intentionally or subconsciously do this or do they do that? Like, why do we seek each other out? I can say that for myself, and this is going to sound really selfish, but it's just me being raw and real. I always say there's really only enough room in my relationship for one addict. I just couldn't. I could not. I could not put up with what I have my partner through. And hypocritical. But God bless him because the shit that I've put him through, I just, I don't think I, I could. He's not perfect. Don't get me wrong, but he definitely, he is a straight and narrow type of person. Like your partner, he can have a drink and not even finish it. Or like he really doesn't even drink to be honest. Yeah. And if he did do things in his past, experimented with things or whatever, he never went down that road of addiction. It's good in a lot of ways because like I said, I don't have to worry about that from somebody. It can also be frustrating because sometimes he doesn't really understand and he'll say things that he might think is funny where I'm just like, mm, that's not so funny, <laughs> but yeah. I, I have to give him grace because he doesn't get it. Like joking about me using isn't helping. Just go use. Just No, that's not funny, honey. <laughs> yeah. So it is, it's, he doesn't fit that, that supportive recovery community mindset that we seek out from each other in that community. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I often feel like, like use, joking about addiction or using the word addict, that should be reserved for people that 
are it's like the n-word or like another like racial slur like it could be like a term of endearment or like a, a phrase people use that are of that same ethnicity or that same racial background and that's offensive if someone else uses it i sometimes feel the the same way and i think I know, that's like, right druggy <laughs> yeah exactly yeah junkie yeah i think like what you said too sometimes i think we we project ourselves as what we want to be or what we're trying to be. And therefore we attract people that would align with that idyllic version of ourselves that sometimes don't always live up to. And then that's maybe part of it. I like that too. I like that. I also, and this could just be me, but I do think that I've seen a little bit in some of my partners, including my current one of that. They're a nurturing type of fixer. And in a lot of ways we need somebody like that is able to deal with us and help us fix things. But sometimes we're just like, I'm not your project. (laughs) We do sometimes attract that type. You know, I was in a serious, serious relationship with someone in, in my mid-20s and I was her fixing project and I was sick of it. At some point, I said, like, you're not going to fix me. You don't even understand what this is. So, Absolutely. Anyways. I'm just so curious, though, if anybody else out there, like I already asked in the Facebook group and I heard over and over again, yeah, my partner's never done a drug. My partner's never been addicted to anything. All he does is drink. Or, and I'm just like, it just, it fascinates me. So if you guys are listening and this relates to you, just know that you're definitely not alone there. <laughs> we do that as a thanks. Yeah, I think it is. And yes, and it's a message if you're curious. Absolutely. All right. Let's get on to the interview with John. Sounds good. Hey, you guys, I'm super excited to be here tonight interviewing a friend of ours, John. He's actually a longtime member of the Quitting Kratom Recovery community. We've seen him around in the Quitting Kratom groups as well as he's been a longtime supporter of the podcast and meetings. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I was hoping to be on here one day when I was listening to the podcast and going to meetings and still on Kratom. So it was a goal of mine to eventually, hopefully give back in whatever way I can once I got off. So it's great to be here. Again, I'm super excited about it as well, because I've been watching your journey for a long time too. So I can't wait to hear all about how you've gotten to where you are and where you are now. Sure. So I'm John. I live in San Diego with my wife of, we just had our one year anniversary back in October and we have our dog Henley, who we rescued also about a year ago. And he's a German Shepherd Husky mix. I'm in healthcare for work. I try to be as active as possible outside of work, whether that's working out, hiking, surfing, or playing with the dog. I just try to stay active as much as I can. So how long did you use Kratom, first of all? And how long have you been off of Kratom? So I probably used Kratom about six years, maybe even seven. It's tough to remember exactly, but, and it's varying degrees over those years of use, but at least four to five years of daily use. And the first time I tried it was probably about seven years ago. Yeah, I'd say about seven years. And then I've been off of Kratom. Today is day number 99. By the time people hear this, I'll be over 100 days off. First of all, congratulations. That's amazing to hear. I'm so happy to hear that. So tell us about how you learned about Kratom. How were you introduced to it? Sure. So I am originally from Massachusetts, and I moved to the Bay Area in San Francisco for work. I knew I wanted to live in California, and that was in about 2016 and i'm hazy on exactly where i first heard about it but it was definitely online 
probably on Reddit, and I think I probably stumbled across the Kratom subreddit, not the quitting Kratom, but the Kratom subreddit. Obviously, everyone on there is talking about how great this thing is, and it's legal, and you can order it online. And I'm a curious person, and at the time, I was probably looking for something that would just give me more energy and improve my life. So it wasn't, I didn't have pain. I know a lot of people use it for chronic pain and things like that. And that's how they start. For me, it was more so hearing people talk about it and helps them work out, gives them energy at work, all that. So that's when I first heard about it. And then I ordered it online. I ordered powder. I don't remember exactly how much, but some website I found it. I didn't even know it was sold in stores. And maybe at that time, it wasn't super popular in smoke shops and stuff like that. So I ordered this bag of powder. It comes in. I do research on how much to take. And I remember taking, I heard people do this toss and wash method, I believe they called it. So take a spoonful of it, shove it in your mouth, drink something, swallow it down. So I remember the first time I opened it, and I'm like, wow, this smells absolutely terrible. Like, it was nauseating just smelling it for me anyways. And I remember trying to take this tablespoon or whatever, however much I was trying to put in my mouth. And oh my God, I like physically could not get it down. And immediately I realized, okay, this method is just not going to work for me. So I ended up ordering a bunch of empty capsules. And I didn't really know at the time that they sell pre, pre-made capsules of Kratom. So I ordered like empty capsules and I was filling them myself. And I remember the first time I took that, that was like the first time I was actually able to take Kratom was with the capsules. And I remember taking it before the gym and I get to the gym and it kicks in And I just feel so nauseous. I was so sick. And it was like I had to cut my workout, went outside and was just sitting there breathing fresh air, trying not to throw up. That was the first time I used it. So it's crazy, like with that experience that I ended up becoming addicted to it. Did you have any kind of a previous history with abusing other drugs or substances or like addiction problems in your past? What's interesting is I thought about that because I wouldn't say I had much of a history with abuse prior to trying Kratom. Like in college and high school, I drank just but normal college kid drinking way more than any person adult should be drinking, but it's college and you're, it's never alone. You're always going out to bars and stuff like that. I definitely drank and smoked weed and stuff like that, but I was never really addicted to anything. And then in the past seven years, I've had issues with various stuff, like pretty much whatever you put in front of me, it turned me into one of those people like seeking out that euphoria by any means. If I got my hand on my coworker or something had painkillers, I would take those. I didn't really get addicted to anything else necessarily other than Kratom and nicotine. But yeah, I definitely, you know, I would do drugs if you put them in front of me, basically. I hear that a lot. The dependence, the physical dependence that Kratom brings is just, it's a beast unlike any other for so many of us. Yeah, it really is. And this has been stated in the group and on this podcast a ton, but one of the things, a couple things about Kratom that I think makes it so dangerous is that number one, it's legal and there's not much research on it, at least with hard drugs, cocaine, for example. Everyone knows that cocaine's a hard drug. It's not one of those things where it's like you can justify being a coke addict necessarily. With Kratom, there's so much information online with people talking about how great it is for them and did this for them, it did whatever. And the problem is when you first start taking it, all that stuff seems true. It's not like you take it and you're like, oh my God, I feel terrible. I'm losing my job. 
Like when I started taking it, to be honest, I did advance super quickly in my career. I got a girlfriend. I was working out a ton. My life was okay for the first, whatever, two, three years. And then it slowly starts going down and it goes down in a way where you don't notice that it's going down. It's like happening under the radar. So then eventually, hopefully at least, you hit some point, some turning point, but that turning point could be in 10 years. It could be, it could take a really long time and hundreds of kilograms of kratom into your body before you hit that point, whatever it is, where you realize what it's doing to you. Whereas with alcohol, if I started drinking a 12 pack every day, it would be pretty quick and pretty clear that my life is falling apart. So that's what's really tough about Kratom. So true. That's the insidiousness that we all know about Kratom. It is so sneaky. It fools you at first. And so many of us have a similar story where we were achieving goals and we were making things happen. And then it's, how do we maintain all of this? So I totally get it. And I know many out there listening are going to get that as well. I remember going on the quitting Kratom subreddit, and this was pretty early into it. And I wrote a post up and I didn't even realize it, but it was almost like a love letter to Kratom. I was talking about all of the things that I thought that it did for me. And you'll see this occasionally, even in the group where someone will, and their heart's in the right place. They're getting to that point. They're considering quitting, which is the first step that might not happen right away, but they'll write about how they want to quit, but it's so tough because it gives them energy and they have anxiety and the Kratom gets rid of their anxiety. So it's like, how am I going to quit when it does all these things for me? And I did a post like that. And I remember the comments were just like, oh my God. I was like, all right, well, I'm not going on this group because they like bullied me off basically, which I get. It's I'm like writing this. I wasn't ready. It would have been nice to probably be someone to just be like, hey man, I get it. We were there, but like you got to change your mindset. Yes. I often refer to Kratom during my recovery as a toxic lover too. Like it's so easy to just call them. They're right around the corner, you know, at the gas station. So totally yeah. get that. So what were some of the early issues that you started having with Kratom and the signs that it was turning on you? Yeah. So I, for a while was taking kratom daily but once a day which is crazy looking back because obviously towards the end of my addiction i was not only taking it once a day but for i would say probably a year and a half or even two years maybe i would just have this ritual of taking it right before lunch at work so it'd be like 11 11 30 a.m and i just started noticing i was waking up and i just felt terrible. I was having just, I would wake up with this awful crippling anxiety. And at this point, Kratom was just something that I did daily, but same as caffeine or whatever, like in my mind. And then I started noticing once the anxiety would just get worse and worse. And then I take my dose and then it all just fades away. And it made me realize, oh my God, I'm going through withdrawals every single morning. So that was, I remember, was the first moment I was, wow, I'm trapped into this. Because I think in my mind, I probably thought I would see people on the groups and stuff. And I was, I would always go on there and people were like taking way more than I was taking. In my mind, I was like, there's always someone worse. So I would think I don't really have that much of a problem because this person's taking whatever 10x what I'm taking. But in reality, it's no, I'm dependent. I am dependent on this. I cannot go a day without it. And if I do, I have this awful anxiety. And it got to the point where from 8am to 1138am, I was basically not functional. Like I was at work doing my best, but my mind was just gone because I am in withdrawal, basically. So that was really like the first moment, but that didn't really trigger anything for me and it only got worse from there but 
I actually quit once before unsuccessfully. And that time was, was lying to my girlfriend at the time, now wife, about my Kratom use. And it was getting pretty clear. She found out there was this whole situation where I lied to her, said I was going to work on the weekend, but I was going to pick up Kratom and she caught me in the lie. And it took me a really long time to ed that I did lie. So I'm like sitting there gaslighting her. No, I was at work, blah, blah, blah. But then she gave me like, essentially, hey, I, if you don't admit what you did to me, I'm leaving. That was what triggered the first time quitting. And then I eventually it turned into, cause I have a very supportive wife that I'm really grateful for. And she, she's has not a not addictive personality at all. So she's learning what it's like to live with an addict and try not taking it personally that we lie. We do, we're lying to ourselves too, but it's really hard if you don't know somebody that's an addict to justify what they're doing or understand it at all, but she's been great. So what it ended up turning into is I was honest about my Kratom use, but I was continuing to use Kratom and obviously increasing the dose. So I I quit, I relapsed, let her know, and then I was back in my addiction. And then it was almost a similar thing this time around that really triggered it for me was she sat me down and just brought up all of the issues that she feels in our marriage and you could pretty much relay all of those issues that she was having to me being a kratom addict whether she realized it or not it became super clear to me that my personality was gone i just want to stay inside i'm like on my phone just in the house all weekend i'm not interested in leaving or doing anything I'm not connected with my wife or my family. So it was really that part of it, not necessarily like the physical stuff with Kratom. Like I know a lot of people have like physical health issues with it. For me, it was more just completely ripping away who I am as a person. It's really good at that. Basically sucking our spirit dry and changing how we treat our loved ones and how we are present or our lack of presence being there for them. A lot of us had a lot of anger issues on Kratom, so I can totally relate as well as I'm sure many others. It's amazing how much it changes things when we finally get honest with the people that we're hiding it from, but that we love the most and are going to actually more than likely turn out to be our biggest supporters. So I'm really happy for you that you have that in your life. So was there just like a final straw, an event, or was it a gradual deciding to quit? What was that final thing that made you decide I need to quit? I think really what it was I was trying to taper. I tapered the first time to get off and it, I think it was helpful at that time. But this time around, I've been trying to taper for months leading up to this conversation with my wife, like this sit down we had, and I was really unsuccessful. I did manage to get my dose down from what it was at, but I was cheating on my taper so much and you know, I made this plan, this detailed plan, and I just, I didn't follow it. And I wasn't really being honest with myself that it wasn't working. And in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm just doing a really slow taper. But I was just cheating on it and not setting out to do what I did, what I wrote down, basically. So after this conversation, it became really clear to me just the overall direction that my life was going. I could get defensive when she brought up all of these things, even though deep down I knew what she was saying was true. Like I am not the same person that she first started dating and it's only getting worse. And I saw, I just saw the path I was going down. Like realistically, if I was still on Kratom, it could have been two years, it could have been five years, but like eventually I was going to lose her. And on top of that, 
I have this idea of who I am as a person and my morals and values. And I have this like picture of what my ideal life looks like and what I'm capable of. And I realized that I was just not trending in that direction. Another thing too that helped me was I looked back at old photos of myself pre-Kratom and just the just the life in my eyes and smile. You could look at pictures of me when I was addicted and just I'm, I just look dead. I look unhappy to be anywhere. And when I looked at those old pictures, I'm like, oh, my God, I was just like loving life back then. So I think that kind of made it click for me, too. We ended up, she was super supportive again. Like when she brought up all these issues, I broke down and let her know, yeah, this stuff is ruining my life. And she was super supportive. And we made the decision that the best thing for me is just to go the cold turkey route. So going the cold turkey route, I know that's definitely not easy. Did you use any kind of medications or supplements or anything like that to assist with withdrawals? So I got pretty much every supplement that was ever mentioned in the group. So I just had this big ass bag of bottles of the DLPA, the L-theanine, you name it, had it. I was taking it religiously to I actually didn't have a terrible time sleeping, which I know that's like a huge issue for people. So I was really fortunate in that I did. I would take all sorts of meds again to sleep. That's something I would take, not Benadryl, because I heard Benadryl gives you restless legs, but I would take like the Unisom tablets, which is a different type of antihistamine that worked for me. Melatonin, just tons of magnesium. I, I was taking anything I could basically, but nothing that was prescription. What about more natural methods like meditation, exercise, hobbies, things like that? Did you find that things like that were helpful to you or did you just have to get through the physical withdrawal first? So I would say for the first seven days or so, I was just trying to get through it. It wasn't until probably week two that I started really forcing myself to to go to the gym and do meditation. My mind, and I did start doing those things, even if it was just showing up and maybe I just go on the exercise bike and for a little bit and then meditate outside. Even if it's a 20 minute ordeal, I just force myself to start doing that. And that stuff really does help. It just sucks because it's like the last thing you feel like doing, which with anything like with depression too, like when you have depression, the things that really will get you out of it are the absolute last things that you feel like doing. Like you don't feel like moving your body. You don't want to go outside. You don't want to talk to people. You want to just isolate yourself like in the fetal position in bed, but that only makes it worse, honestly. So you really do need to force yourself. But for me personally, I realized that I was doing something that was very, is very difficult going cold turkey after all that time of taking something daily. So I gave myself a week to just, okay, it's okay. Just fight through it. You don't have to force yourself to get back into working out and all this stuff right away. But week two is when I said, all right, I need to get back at it. Yes, definitely nothing wrong with giving yourself a little grace there in the beginning for sure. So what was your first 30 days? I know 30 days is a big, it's a big one for a lot of people. What was that like for you? Yeah, so it's interesting. I would say the first week was pretty miserable. Just feeling terrible. Your every bone in your body hurts. You're, you're having diarrhea, your brain fog is crazy. The anxiety was crazy. I told this story in the group, but I just remember I'm out with, I'm out with my dog walking and there's just this, you know, two old ladies in front of me and they kept stopping to look at directions or something. I'm not sure what they were doing, but it's a small sidewalk and I have my dogs. I'm like, I'd have to stop behind them. I didn't have room to pass them. 
And I just remember the rage and anxiety inside me, whereas normally that's, it's not a big deal. I would never get upset about that. If anything, I might be like, what are you looking for? Can I help you find whatever it is that where you guys are trying to go? It's clear that they're lost, but I had to just come back inside and I'm just like screaming in my pillow. Just like, I've never felt that type of anger and that was probably on day four or something. So that's how the first week went was just a lot of that really tough stuff. And then I got this weird like second wind on probably the day 14 or so where I'm like feeling so good. And I'm like stoked. I feel so accomplished that I made it two weeks and I feel like everything was coming back. Like I'm out doing stuff and I'm just like happy. And then, then it goes back down again. And then it's okay. Now the depression starts creeping in. It was just a roller coaster. That's really how I would describe the first 30 days is a roller coaster. If you're feeling one way on day, whatever, seven, just know whether it's good or bad, there's a solid chance it's going to just completely flip on you because your brain's just trying to like get back to homeostasis. So the ups and downs are just insane. So the, it, it was a roller coaster. It's definitely a roller coaster, not only in the beginning, but I will say it continues to be a roller coaster even at almost eight months for me. It just seems like maybe the periods of time when things are mellow are a lot longer now. So it takes time for us to get back, but it is good when that nice guy that would ask these seniors if you could be helpful it's really great when that guy comes back that's exciting to hear oh for sure yeah and it's i agree 100 percent. the roller coaster doesn't stop there's just a lot more space in between the ups and downs if we if we did this interview at day 60 and Tried, I always try to journal. I just haven't made it a habit. My timeline's all off, but I would say probably two, three weeks ago, I was feeling pretty depressed, even this far out. All of the like day-to-day physical stuff that I felt at the beginning is gone, but no, the depression and sneaks in. You'll have good weeks. You'll have bad weeks. You could have good months and bad months. It's the way that I try to think about it is... As Kratom users, we had ups and downs too, but our solution was always just take more Kratom. Like, oh, you feel like shit today? Just take Kratom. Increase your dose so you can get that euphoria. And what's happening now is we're feeling those ups and downs from life, but we don't have our trusty little safety net that we used to have. So we have to deal with it. You have to try to find ways to cope with those feelings and it's the healthy stuff the problem is as addicts we always seek the easy immediate relief for things and the relief for what you're going to feel in sobriety is the hard route and the hard route for stuff is always what is good for you in the long term it's easier to go and get fast food it's not as easy to cook a healthy meal It's easier to sleep in. It's not as easy to wake up early and work out. It's easy to scroll on TikTok. It's not as easy to force yourself to meditate. Like it's always the hard route that really helps with these things. And that's just something that you learn in sobriety and it's going to make you a better person. It's just hard. I definitely feel like you're hitting on all the points. So tell us, I think it's pretty obvious, but I want to hear you describe how your life is today now that you are 90-something days kratom-free. What's it like? Yeah, so my I feel like I am coming back and into who I am as a person, who I was before this stuff. And it's really hard to be like, uh, I'll see people in the group ask, are you, are you back to a hundred percent or I'm 80% better? It's almost impossible to say that because number one, it was so long ago. I don't even really remember. And I think it's just being able to get back to the point where you can grow as a person is worth it because when you're on Kratom, you're not growing because you're running from your problems. You have anxiety, you're taking more Kratom. Like 
you want to quit and you're still taking it, you're just conflicting with your values. And I firmly believe you cannot, you're just stagnant when you're on Kratom. You're not growing. You're not learning how to deal with life. Things come up. That's a big thing for me is my mindset just improves each month that goes by. Do I still have, did Kratom salt or quitting Kratom solve all of my problems in life? No, I get stressed. There's times I'm anxious. There's times I'm depressed. I, I still have ups and downs, but it's so much better. It's and so much more rewarding when you make it through and you're sober. It feels like such a victory and it feels like you come out the other side of those challenges with you gain something, you can handle it now. I feel more connected with my wife, my family. I don't have the same ups and downs during the day. Like with Kratom, you wake up, you feel terrible. You have your first dose, it hits, you're up, and then you're down, and then you're up, and then you're down, and then you're up. It's just, you have a roller coaster within the same day. So it feels really nice to be like, you wake up feeling good, and then you just coast on that all day. Like you don't, it's not this constant like, I got to take my next dose because I'm starting to like feel it wearing off. And I know that I'm going to get really cranky if it goes too long. So that stuff is awesome. Another like random thing is when I just went to this work conference and just not having to like plan, okay, I'm going to be there for this amount of days. So I have to calculate how much Kratom do I need to bring with me? I have to pack it all, make sure I have enough, like all of that stuff. And even when I'm at this conference, it's like you're in courses and stuff throughout the day. So I would have had to be running back into my hotel room to take more Kratom or stashing it in my pocket, going to the bathroom, that kind of stuff. I'm so glad I'm not a slave like that anymore. Oh, me too. It's such a, it feels like such a dirty little secret sometimes ducking into restrooms and I don't miss that at all. I actually wanted to talk a little bit about how you were an early supporter of our meetings. And I just really remember you from being there early on. Sometimes we would have two, three people in the meetings and you were one of the early once. I'm wondering how crucial were those support meetings in your early recovery? And also a follow-up question to that. Do you still attend like recovery meetings? And if so, can we talk about that a little bit? For sure. Yeah. I remember it was funny because I saw the group was really active, right? So there's people posting every day. There's who knows, I don't know how many members, but there's got to be a lot of members in the group. And we would post, I would see you post these meeting invites. And then I'd get there and it's like you and Cassandra and like one other person. And they're in the beginning too, personally, I was, I started the meetings actually before I quit. So I did probably a couple of the early meetings still tapering, quote unquote, but I was still using. And I think it was really helpful just hearing, number one, people that have made it to the other side, made it out of it and hearing that because it just gives you hope. And then also hearing from people that are in the same place you are. It just feels like you're not alone. And it also how often and dated, and I don't know, maybe people are different, but in my personal life, there's no, I don't really know anyone that even does this, does Kratom. So no one really, I don't have many people to talk to about it. Like I can talk to my wife about it, but she doesn't understand on a personal level. So it's really validating to hear people with the feeling the exact same things that you're feeling. The people are saying stuff and it's, oh my God that is exactly how I feel. Been through that same thing. I know exactly what you're talking about. So that part's really helpful. And then I occasionally pop in and the meetings are like a whole different world. Now there's tons of people in the meetings and 
I probably should start popping in more because I would, I'll go in and I just listen. I'm out walking the dog. I have my headphones on and I have my phone in my pocket and I'm listening to people talk in the meeting, which is cool. I enjoy that. And there's definitely times where it's like, man, I feel so bad. I feel so bad for this person because they're just going through it. Some people's stories are just, they have other stuff going on in their life and I get it. I totally get it. It's You feel so stuck too, especially when your life is, you know, you have all these stressful things happening. It's like, how can you have all of these stressful things happening? And now you're going to do like another super hard thing during all of this. So there's times I'm like, damn, I, I wish I could help you, but I should, I think it would probably be helpful for me to, cause I haven't really been speaking up in the meetings and obviously people will hopefully hear this podcast, but probably be helpful for me to give some insight now that I'm a hundred days out. But it's funny because it's, to be honest, I don't really think about Kratom. I really don't. I don't think about it on a daily basis, but I will say one of the things from the first time I quit was I think I thought I was out of the woods and then it takes one stressful thing and suddenly you blink and you're back on Kratom. I do think it's really beneficial for people, no matter how far out they are, to have some sort of involvement still, whether it be the Facebook group, meeting, listening to the podcast, whatever it is. I think it's really beneficial because you think you're out of it, but tons of people relapse after years. So I think it's keep yourself strong and just hearing people that are going through it and people that made it out is just a reminder because you, your brain does tricks on you. Like you'll look back and be like, oh, it wasn't so bad. But when I was using, but then you hear people and it's, nope, that's, that sounds really bad. And that's exactly, I was exactly in their spot before. This is very true, and you're definitely not the only one that's been to the meetings or started off going to the meetings while you're still using, which is why I think it's very important that we have these meetings available to people, and you're welcome no matter where you are on your journey because it's so exciting to see people like yourself and even myself. I went to meetings before I quit. And to hear them and see them reaching out for support and wanting to quit. And then all of a sudden you're in a meeting with them and we're hearing that got 90 something days. It's just a really great thing to hear. So thank you so much for sharing all of your story with us. I'm just going to switch it up a little bit here and we're going to talk about music because we always talk about music on the podcast. It's something that a lot of us start feeling again right away when we first quit. Did you have that same experience with music? And if and also, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Sure. So I would say on Kratom and off Kratom, like on a day-to-day basis, or well, let me backtrack. When I was on Kratom, very rarely did I even listen to music. And it was mainly podcasts. Like I'm always listening to podcasts. These days, still like when I'm driving home from work, driving to work, it's podcasts. But now that I'm back at the gym, because there was a long time when I was towards the end of my Kratom addiction where I just my identity has always been working out and staying fit. And I just stopped like I was not going at all. I did not care. But my music time now is the gym. So everything I listen to is anything that makes you feel energized or hyped up, which always tends to be like hip hop rap for me. Occasionally some hard rock stuff like Rage Against the Machine is one I go to a lot, but it's like these songs that if you were to just casually listen in your car, it probably wouldn't be like the most appropriate thing to just be like chilling around driving, listening to. It's like pretty, I like pretty gnarly rap and hip hop. Oh, I don't know. Try me because I listen to some pretty gnarly stuff just driving around town too. (laughs) Yeah. And occasionally I will too. And I'll listen to some popular stuff. Like there's just random songs too that pop up that you would think like I wouldn't even be into. Recently, I've been listening at the gym to Ski Yee by Sexy Red. 
that song just hypes me up and it's it's such a song for not it's not made for guys but it just hypes me up there's random songs like that just get me going so anything that amps me up is what i like i love it (laughs) okay so i have one more question for you and it has to do with kratom again if somebody was to come to you and want some advice on how to quit what kind of advice would you give to them yeah so i really thought about this one because it's a tough question and i think now that i have this much time under my belt like i probably would have had a different answer to this at day 30 than i do now i honestly think the most important thing is come up with your why like why honestly do you want to quit kratom and you need to make sure that whatever that why is rock solid is bulletproof you cannot rationalize with it at all it's deep meaningful for you and it can be different for everyone it could be you are going to lose your wife that's part of what my why is it could be that you are a completely different person it took away your soul that could be your why it could be some serious health issue everyone's why is going to be different but i think you need to sit down you need to write down why you want to quit Kratom and just work it out. Because if you're going into it, like I want to quit Kratom because my wife doesn't like that I do Kratom. That's not a great why, because you're not really making, you're making that decision based on somebody else not liking it or whatever. If you flip that to, I'm going to lose my wife, I'm going to maybe lose my kids, that could be a really deep why. And then you want to quit for yourself because your life will be ruined. So I think it just needs to be something like really deep down that is, if I do not follow through with this, my life is going to be in a place that I'm not going to like. Because I think the first time I really was quitting because I lied to my girlfriend and I didn't want to lie to her anymore. So I was more so quitting because it was partially like, yeah, the end result might be her leaving. But in my mind, I still had really positive feelings about Kratom. And if you still have positive feelings about this, then it's going to be really hard to fight cravings. Like willpower, honestly, you can't wake up every single day and expect your willpower to hold strong because that's the same reason that we can't taper. If your willpower was that strong, then everyone would just start a taper and quit or go cold turkey as soon as they want to quit. The reason we're all, we were all still using, even though it's something that we don't want to do is because When you're an addict, the willpower is out the window. So you can't rely on that. You need to rely on something deep rooted that you, your brain cannot rationalize. So every time that little craving comes in, you can just, and if it's written down, great. You can look at it and be like, if I go to the store right now and get more Kratom, I'll lose my wife, I'll lose my family, I'll lose my job, whatever it is, whatever you wrote down. And it just needs to be something that you hold really dear to you. I really love what you said about having a why you want to quit. That does, that is super important. And I would even take it a step deeper and have maybe a follow up to that. And also, we should define our why we use, and that's going to help us to not use again. But I couldn't agree more. The why is so important. Yeah, and that's a great point too. And I think uh, that's something that I could probably work on a little because I've given it some thought and I don't have a super great answer for why I even used in the first place. And I think what it is, if I had to guess, I have ADD. I'm the type where it's like when my brain is just sitting there, whatever it is, I'm looking for dopamine. I'm always looking for dopamine. So I, eventually will end up with the quick and easy dopamine. So that's why I'm really trying to do the things that bring me dopamine in a positive way, like working out and going outside and, you know, forcing myself to be social, which I didn't do at all on Kratom. So I am working on that too, but you're absolutely right. If 
you need the why you want to quit and why did you even pick it up in the first place, get those down and then work on it. I'm really so happy to have you here on the other side of this Kratom thing with us. It's an amazing feeling. And like you said earlier, the pride that we have in ourselves when we just accomplish simple things, get through hard things without using. It's just, I just can't say enough about it. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Again, I want to thank you for interviewing with me tonight. Did I leave anything out. Is there anything that you want to make sure to get across to the listener before we go tonight? Yeah, we covered a lot. I think, yeah, we covered everything I was really hoping to. I would just say for the people that are listening to this that are still using, just know that how quickly time flies by. So I've been off for a hundred days. It feels like a blink of an eye. So like those tough times, they're so quick. In the grand scheme of things, like you are 14 days, maybe even less. You could be like seven days away from just being off of it and you're like getting your life back. It You are closer than you think. It sounds like this incredible feat. And I promise you, yes, it'll there'll be tough times for sure. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Some people might need to go with medical assisted treatment. Everyone's different. But when you when a month goes by, it feels like a blink of an eye and you're off Kratom. So don't think it's this impossible task. Like it is so doable. You just you have to get all your ducks in a row and make a plan and just go for it. Thank you so much for that reminder because we do get that, we get sucked into that hopeless feeling sometimes. And it's so good for people out there that are in that to hear from those of us that are on the other side does get easier. It truly does. And it's so worth it. So again, I just want to thank you so much, John. We're going to continue to be cheering you on. And I hope to hear maybe a year from now, we're going to hear that you have a year and 90 something days. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Desma, for having me. I I really am am happy to be on here because this podcast for sure helped me get through some of those initial tough times. Awesome. Thank you. Kratom in the headlines. It's Jacob, and I am here to bring you this week's segment. This isn't specific to Kratom, but we thought it would be a relevant article to share as it has to do with medicated assisted treatment and regulation changes that were just announced by HHS and the Biden administration. This is an article from February 2nd, 2024 in Axios entitled, U.S. Permanently Eases Some Opioid Treatment Restrictions. So basically the gist of it is when the pandemic hit, there were some short-term policy changes passed that made it easier for people to receive opioid addiction treatment, medicated assistance treatment via telemedicine. And those were intended to be permanent, and they have been extended a few times. The latest extension, I believe, was through November of this year, 2024. Why is this change important? Basically, it allows for the use of telemedicine for opioid addiction to become permanent. So there was some question around post-November 2024, would people be required to go back into in-person treatment or at least for maybe a visit or two a year or something? And this rule is going to essentially make it so that essentially it is permanent and easier for people to access that treatment via telemedicine, which I think is a good thing with the general opioid crisis in the country. And I know just from moderating a Facebook group and just reading what I see online and some of the various Reddit threads, telehealth is quite popular for people that choose medication and assisted treatment for kratom use disorder. So I think this will be a good change that will continue to allow for access to that sort of treatment via telemedicine or via video versus having to go to a clinic or find an in-person doctor. 
So really interesting policy change and fully we'll continue to see less stigmatization of Medicaid-assisted treatment, expanded access for those that need it, and just additional destigmatization of opioid and kratom addiction. So is kratom in the headlines for this week? Resource of the week. This is Charlie. I hope everybody's doing well. Good luck with your quits. Wherever you're at, we wish you the best. So today we have something a little bit different for resource of the week. I have a clip from a local public radio station that is Don Was from Was Not Was fame, giving a moving tribute to a rock legend that recently just died. It was just yesterday. Wayne Craver of the MC. Five. It's a story about recovery and getting sober in an AA meeting in a prison. And I just found it really moving. Yeah, I guess you can probably tell by now I can be a little sentimental. But this made me actually up in tears a little bit hearing this. And I'm more of a Don Was stan. He's playing with Bob Weir's side projects nowadays, and he's just a legendary rock producer. You have to be living under a rock to not have respect and know about at the MC5. So here's the clip from WDET. It's Don Was and host Ann DeLisi. And until next week, keep it creative free. Wayne was the guy who uh, pulled me aside when I was really messing up. And he uh, gently but effectively let me know that I wasn't fooling anyone, that I needed to sober up or I was going to die. And he set me on a course of recovery that was 20 years ago, actually almost to the day. And it's not out of line to say that we wouldn't be together here doing this show if it weren't for Wayne and his friendship and his guidance. I'd have been long gone. And through, you know, the selfless work that he did as a sponsor, he touched the lives of hundreds, like literally hundreds of other folks who were lost in the same way. Uh, My favorite memory of Wayne is uh, about the time that as part of his uh, Jail Guitar Doors Foundation work, we played a show at Sing Sing Prison, Mm -hmm. a maximum security facility north of New York City, like the worst of what you consider prison. (laughs) (laughs) And Jail Guitar Doors was an organization that Wayne and and his wife Margaret founded to help rehabilitate uh, the incarcerated with music programs and prisons. And we pulled in... We had a band that included Tom Morello and mm-hmm. Perry Farrell and <laughs> Billy Bragg, a, a whole bunch of cats. But before we played, Wayne led a meeting of the prison AA chapter, which was about 200 or 300 very hardened guys. And uh, there's something about it. In the AA meeting, according to the protocols of prison, everyone just relaxed and let down their defenses regardless of what gang you belong to or whether you're an inmate or a guard everyone was cool with each other and they checked the hostilities and the rivalries and and the lines that were drawn in the prison yard and they just relaxed and got along in the insulated uh, fellowship of the meeting man and wayne gave the most moving and beautiful speech. He he was the only one in the room who'd been a musician, been incarcerated, had left prison, turned his life around, and had gone on to do great things and then come back to help others Mm -hmm. do the same thing. And he was so elegant elegant and eloquent, and his words were so heartfelt. Uh, Everyone in that room drew inspiration from his talk. And then we cranked up the amps and slammed that prison cafeteria <laughs> real hard for about an hour. And th- th- this wasn't an, an isolated incident. It was for me. It was the only time I did that. But he went to, into the jails often and offered his help and instruction and wise counsel. He cared about people who were down, and he walked the walk to help lift them up. And he always showed up, man. His generosity was unflinching. And he truly made the world a better place. And and like I said, he was the best kind of friend you could have. And I don't know any greater measure uh, of a man than that. And uh, I I don't know what else to say right now, and I'm not sure I can. So uh, let's do what Wayne would have wanted 
and let his music do the talking. Uh, above everything else, such as said, he was a truly inspired, soulful, expressive, and inventive and original artist and musician. Oh, man. That's very hard. He, yeah, he, he was the real thing through and through, and it was an honor to play with him over the years. Let, let's play a medley of his songs. Uh, this is in remembrance of the mighty brother Wayne Kramer. Wrong! 